Hi everyone, if you're watching this on YouTube, can you please click the big red subscribe button below this video and share it on social media. This keeps all our content ad free, spreads the word of Bitcoin to others like yourself. Everything is available at bitcoinbasicspodcast.com, including our podcast platforms and an upcoming free webinar. All right, on to the show. And the argument against that is like, well, who cares? You know, um, I've got nothing to hide. And it's like, it's such a silly argument because it's like, well, why do you close your uh, toilet door if you've got nothing to hide? Are you making a bomb in there? Are you a terrorist? Are you <laughs> smoking a joint? Well, you close your door and you close your blinds because you want some privacy. And one of the biggest things that people just don't understand in terms of privacy and especially freedom of speech is that money is really the ultimate privacy to be able to do what you want to do with your money, when you want to do it and how you want to do it. This is the Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host Ferris, that's me, and Gordon from CoinCompass.com. We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy, store, and control their private keys, Bitcoins. This podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial, investment, or legal advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. My name's Gordon, I'm your host, coming from the beach, and it is day eight of our 30 Days of Bitcoin on the Bitcoin Basics podcast. How's the level four quarantine going, Ferris? <laughs> well, it's 8 p.m. here, I'm already in my pajamas. <laughs> okay. Luckily, the video only shows the top half. So let's do a proof of recording. The block time is... 623,296. By the way, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, have a look at our previous podcast, but you can find that at blockstream.info. The current price of Bitcoin is $6,187, according to Bitstamp. And Faris, we've got an interesting question. Why don't we just get straight into it? Yes, please. Okay. One of the things that makes Bitcoin really interesting to me is its ability to decentralize uh, currency. I mean, a lot of problems have come with government monopolies over currency um, and that the ability of the technology to the peer-to-peer -peer technology to decentralize that authority is good in a lot of ways, but it also makes it a threat to the, those power structures. And I'm curious... <clears throat> what the ramifications are of that. Like we've seen countries uh, make moves to try to uh, keep people from using uh, Bitcoin. And I wonder how you see that playing out. Can, can countries and governments, power structures, uh, can they keep people from using Bitcoin? Can they pass laws against it? Uh, can they, um, uh, can they wage like an economic war on it and sort of drive down the currency? What are the things that can be done to uh, fight against uh, Bitcoin? And uh, do you see those as uh, being problematic to investment in the currency? So there's a lot to unpack there. Do you want to get us started? Yeah, so Gordon and I were talking about this question often. We really like this question. So we actually figured we'd make two episodes out of this question. Um, the first part that we do want to talk about in this question is 
Bitcoin, the technology as a peer-to-peer and decentralized um, technology. And I, I want us to look at these topics, specifically decentralization. Um, it's something that's not really understood or appreciated. Um, so peer-to-peer just means person-to-person. Uh, you might have heard of peer-to-peer file sharing or torrenting, or which was once known as illegal downloads. So peer-to-peer just means one person directly to another person. So Bitcoin as a currency just means from one person to another without having to go through a bank or a Western Union. So that's pretty simple. Decentralization is very different. So decentralization means that with a bank, you have to provide um, your ID, uh, address, date of birth, all these details before you can open up a bank account. So before I want to send money to Gordon, he's got to have a bank account. I've got to have a bank account. My bank is a centralized institution. It has all my details. It confirms that I'm sending money from my account to Gordon. It's got to confirm I've got the money in my account to do so. With Bitcoin, it doesn't work that way. If he has a Bitcoin address or wallet, I can just send Bitcoins directly to him. We don't need to apply anywhere. We don't need to open an account. Uh, that is the, the framework, the bird's eye view. I'd like Gordon um, to explain that in a bit more detail, please. Okay, so I may go off the fairway. I may land in the rough, in the weeds, in the swamp. Please uh, recover me if I get there. Peer-to-peer. In terms of computing, and you gave a good analogy with the banking, I guess uh, if I was paying you in cash, that would be peer-to-peer. In computing terms, we're all used to using our web browser and websites. So for example, if you go to facebook.com or you check your email with say Gmail, whatever website you go to, your web browser is connecting to a central website or central server. So that's similar to banking. Use your ATM, that's connecting to your bank's database and your bank's server. So that's kind of the traditional model and that's been around for you know 50 or 60 years. But as far as talked about before in terms of file sharing, and not all file sharing was illegal, Faris. I did download some uh, <laughs> Linux distributions and, and whatnot, but yes, most of it was um, illegal. In, in that, you've got peer-to-peer, so you don't have this idea of what is called a client to a server. So your client is your Firefox, your Google Chrome, and the server is facebook.com or gmail.com. But in a peer-to-peer system, you don't really have this model of a client connecting to a server. So many clients, so there may be a million people using Firefox or Google Chrome connecting to Facebook's database, which is centralized. But in the peer-to-peer system, you have computers connecting directly to other computers. Some people describe this as client to client or server to server. It doesn't really matter what you describe it, but there's no central server. There's no facebook.com, there's no Gmail, there's no twitter.com who's sort of acting as this intermediary, this third party or this central server or website. You've got people connecting to people, computers connecting to computers. So it, it would be like, instead of my Firefox connecting to Facebook, my Firefox connects directly to Faris's Firefox on his laptop computer. I really like that one. Now, uh, if you don't mind, just 
for people who are like me who kind of need to visualize it a bit more. Um, so I think, uh, and what Gordon's saying, you got to picture this on a scale of everyone using the internet. We're talking billions of people. So if we were to go to a central server, so if, you know, I just want to connect to Gordon via Facebook, all that data is going via Facebook, everyone else as well. There are you know, 70 million clients, however many it is, going through there. But what Gordon's saying is, peer-to-peer, -peer, we just go directly to each other. Do you want to learn how to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins? Coin Compass is running a free two-hour webinar on Sunday, the 19th of April. For session times and a register, go to coincompass.com forward slash webinar. So... What are the advantages of peer-to-peer? -peer? Is it faster, Gordon? I mean, other than we don't have to give our personal information to some uh, uh, corporation, a third party. What are the other advantages of peer-to-peer? -peer? Uh, one of the major disadvantages is it's actually a lot slower because you're using um, different peers to connect to other different peers. So for example, if I wanted to connect to one of your friends, Firefox on their browser, I might connect through you, you connect to someone else, and eventually, after, say, 10 connections, that connects to where I want to go to. So it's actually infinitely slower. And that's probably the biggest disadvantage of a peer-to-peer -peer system. But of course, the advantage is it's not centralized. It's what we call decentralized. And we're probably going to mention that term about 20 or 30 times mm -hmm. in this podcast. So the advantage is you're not relying on a third party. You're not relying on a central service or central website or central software or some kind of authority you're actually able to do a transaction person-to-person, peer-to-peer, software-to-software, computer-computer. And that's really the main advantage. Now, um, I don't think it's relevant, but there are some other side effects like increased privacy and increased control about what you share. But that's probably the main advantage is you don't have to rely on a third party. You don't have to trust anyone. So, okay. Um... Can you mind just going into a bit more detail on that as to why it's such a problem to trust someone else? Why is it an issue to trust companies like Google, MasterCard, Visa? Why is it a problem? If they're doing it very quickly and they're doing it around the world and doing so many transactions a minute, why is it a problem? Why do we need something like Bitcoin? Yeah, one of the reasons that a lot of people um, are happy to trust someone is it's more convenient. It's a lot more convenient to call your bank, you've forgotten your PIN number, or um, someone's stolen your ATM card, or you want to apply for a bank loan. But what you're giving up is control, and you're giving up privacy as well. So Bitcoin means that you don't have to trust anyone. There's really nothing that you have to give up. But the huge advantage is you can control it. So you can control your own money. And in terms, sorry, did you want me to go into privacy or not? I know, I keep going. So I guess that's the, I mean, there are actually many advantages, but I'd say that's the number one advantage is that you don't have to trust a third party entity. And if I want to transact, let's say I want to buy a good or a service from you, why do I need to go through a bank? And by the way, you're not just going through your bank. Any single transaction, especially an online transaction, goes between 10 and 15 institutions. So we're talking your bank, we're talking, for example, the Swiss banking system, or in EU they use, uh, what's the other system, Ferris? I can't remember the name of it. Uh, anyway, it doesn't I matter. Today. Yeah. Uh, SEPA, 
Um, yep. So other kinds of clearing systems of that. So you're not just going through your bank, you're going through about 10, 10 or 15 institutions. Guess what they're doing with your data? They're recording that transaction. Now they might not be selling it, but someone like Google definitely is selling your data. They're selling your spending habits. They're selling your location to advertisers and other people. And the argument against that is like, well, who cares? You know, um, I've got nothing to hide. And it's like, it's such a silly argument because it's like, well, why do you close your uh, toilet door if you've got nothing to hide? Are you making a bomb in there? Are you a terrorist? Are you <laughs> smoking a joint? Well, you close your door and you close your blinds because you want some privacy. And one of the biggest things that people just don't understand in terms of privacy and especially freedom of speech is that money is really the ultimate privacy to be able to do what you want to do with your money, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it. So with this, and I know I might seem pedantic here, but I come from a non-tech industry, and this is really key for anyone who wants to get into Bitcoin to understand this decentralization. It really is one of the huge proponents of Bitcoin and um, the technology that lies behind Bitcoin called the blockchain, which you don't need to go into too much detail to understand. But the main thing is, if you're living in what we call the Western world, you take it for granted that money that is in your bank today will be there tomorrow. Other countries, that's not the case. This wasn't the case in Greece and Cyprus um, in 2015, 2016, where people woke up and the banks actually took money out of their accounts because of the financial crisis in, in Europe. In Venezuela, Zimbabwe, your money is worth less in the afternoon than it was in the morning. So when people are looking for something where they don't, their, their own government currency is basically not safe and not secure, that is something centralized that is controlled by the government. So just like Gordon was saying, your data is controlled by Google, Facebook, Visa, MasterCard, the BigSwit system. Money is controlled by these finance systems and your money is controlled by your government. Um, you know, it's legal tender. It's, it's an IOU to the government. So they're controlling it. And we have had this long run where, yeah, you can trust governments with your money, but we're seeing a lot of very unwise decisions now. So with Bitcoin, decentralized means, um, Gordon, I think, phrases it best when he says, it's not just a bank account in your pocket. Bitcoin is having your own bank in your pocket. I don't think I said that, but that's a good quote. That's definitely one of the... Uh, I don't think it was you, but I'm giving you the credit for it. <laughs> that's definitely wasn't <laughs> me. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point, Faris. And, and again, I know I'm a stickler for privacy and whatnot, but that probably is one of the main um, advantages of peer-to-peer -peer and distributed networking and uh, a money network like Bitcoin is that no one can censor it. Um, you donate to the wrong political party or the government doesn't like maybe your political stance on something, um, they'll freeze your account. And that's what happened, by the way, to WikiLeaks, whether you agree with them or not agree. Um, money really is control. Money really is power. So um, yeah. one of the best features of Bitcoin is it doesn't matter what you're doing with that Bitcoin transaction. Uh, whether you think it's ethical or not, or legal or not, the Bitcoin network simply processes it and um, it censorship resistant. Yeah, well, I think that's a really good segue into the second part of this question, Gordon. So um, how about we get into that? 
So thank you for that question. And we will be answering the second part of this question in tomorrow's podcast. And please remember, go to coincompass.com forward slash ask to submit your own questions. And if you think we haven't had, um, answered a question well enough, then please let us know and go to coincompass.com forward slash free for a lot of our free content available. Uh, Gordon, anything else before we um, disseminate to our next one? Please share this with your friends. Doesn't cost you a cent. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.